You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season seven, episode two. Today's episode is dedicated to our friends in Nashville, Tennessee. My guest, Eric Loxmo, is a citizen of this beautiful city, as well as are the artists, The Golden Age, who provided the music for this episode. I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of the recent devastation that hit Nashville due to the tornado that tore through the city. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for a link on how you can partner with us and bring in relief to those affected by the damage. I'm excited to share this episode with you as I believe the conversation it fosters is vital for our cultural moment. In fact, once you've listened, I want to ask you to consider sharing this episode with your pastors and community leaders. We live in a time when the value and the necessity of creativity in the arts, particular to our communities of faith, is rising to the surface of our social conscience. I believe it's conversations like this one that can make or break the future of our relationship between art, faith, and culture. I recorded this conversation on my last trip to Nashville when I had the opportunity to sit down with producer of marketing and distribution for Aspiration Entertainment, Eric Loxmo. This is Eric's second appearance on the Makers and Mystics podcast. We'll put a link to Eric's previous episode in the show notes for you as well. This is my interview with Eric Loxmo on 1% for Artists. Eric, I'm thrilled to have you back on Makers and Mystics. Really appreciate your work and happy to have you back on. Likewise, so glad to be back and love what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Love this community and, and this podcast is a real resource for me mm-hmm. personally. Good, good. My work. Well, the reason I wanted to have you back on is because I saw some of the thoughts that you were sharing on social media about how communities of faith, what would happen if we really got behind Mm-hmm. supporting the arts, becoming advocates for the art. And I was really interested in discussing this with you because in my own life and in some of my own talks that I've been giving, mm. I've been asking the question, what would it look like if communities of faith got behind the creative arts? If we became one of the leading advocates for the arts, what would that look like? Yeah. Well, it, it's strange because this I feel like I've had the same conversation, you probably feel the same way, for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Is this okay? Why isn't this happening in the church mm-hmm. among Christians? I feel like this has been ongoing, but for some reason, right now, it feels very acute. It's it, it maybe it's because of the context of the culture of I think the people recognize that politics and other expressions of how to solve problems or change the world have not worked and have actually made things worse. Uh, artists are more prolific. They're more independent than ever. Uh, there's more opportunities to democratize content. There's more consumers that are selective or intentional. So for me, this 20-year conversation, which started back with Brewing Culture, how we first connected mm-hmm. in D.C., I'm working in politics, I'm going crazy in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> and I had friends at Sojourners and artists who were you know, great people I wanted to bring together with the rest of us, and we had these evenings of the arts, and this is almost almost 20 years ago. And so started then this thinking of where's the patron and broader, where's the audience in the church? How are they making good decisions with their money, intentional decisions to choose 
the products and content that is good for the artist and good for the culture and good for the church. And the, that, that started now, I think we're at a place where the conversation is getting very real, mm-hmm. very different time, different context. So I'm excited about this conversation because mm-hmm. there's a lot to discuss mm-hmm. in this 2020 year. Yeah. Urgency, I think there's an urgency to it all. Yeah, well, tell me some about that urgency. What if what have you seen change in this conversation over the years? Because I think back twenty years ago, <laughs> we're too young for this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, twenty years ago, I don't even know if we had iPhones at that point. You know no, what I mean? Oh, like, no, <laughs> no, no way. Well, I mean, going even further back, so two hundred years, four hundred years ago, the church has been doing this. This is not a new idea. The patrons of the arts creating space for artists, showcasing work, different model, right? It was wealthy families and institutions supporting the arts. But there's this period of time, a dry spell, a desert where the arts were suspicious. They were, they were things that you couldn't fully nail down and it wasn't on the nose enough. And it was, and artists are weird and they're thinking different things and there's a poetic view of life and, and they're not um, useful or there's no utility of the arts. All that came through that it's obviously decades and decades. And then there's some books and there's some artists and there's some certain things that happen where, and a generation that I think was, was shedding its parents' notion that if you're gonna be a good Christian boy and girl, you go to business, politics, law, medicine, mission field. Mm-hmm. And we know these arguments, right? And the artists were always, yeah. you know, you can design the bulletin and you can sing in the choir, <laughs> but <laughs> don't you dare go to Paramount. Or uh-huh. MTV or, or Broadway. Yeah. Or don't be a painter. I mean, how are you going to live? Right. You can't get married and have grandbabies for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is all these, these challenges from, from the pressure that came from my grandparents to my parents were a little better. I think being 46, we've broke a lot of ice for the next generation, but I'm excited because I see a generation that is in the good side of it is unleashed to say, I want to be in the epicenters of creation and culture. Along with that, I think in the same time, the funders who thought that politics and in getting certain people elected and certain people in positions of power would change the culture, that idea is no longer. Mm-hmm. There is still remnants of that. And then of course, this whole downstream, upstream comment uh, conversation, which is politics is downstream from the maker and the creative and the, and the culture formation. So that politics is not driving culture really is the artist and the maker that's doing that and politics politics is reacting to it. So I think there's a shift happening on the funding level, a shift and a growth happening in the artist level, the maker's level. And that has got this place now where it is the right time to be asking um, for all the communities involved, how do we make this sustainable for those that are committed to their calling, no longer making a side hustle or a hobby fully supporting the arts and where do we do that? And how do we do that? And my strategic brain is always thinking, let's stop talking so high-minded. Let's get very practical. Well, let's do that then. What, tell, tell me some about what you think can help move in that direction. Because when I, when I look at the artist's life and I'm an artist myself, mm-hmm. I've often seen three different models. One, you take on a full-time job somewhere else and you moonlight, you do your yeah. work after hours. Or second, 
uh, you decide you're not going to make money from your art. You're just going to do it on the weekends and, and let it be that. Or third, you find patrons. You find people that, you know, whether that's grants from an institution, whether that's individual donors, or whether that's you have figured out a niche, a way to generate income from your, from your craft. Tell me some of your thoughts yeah. on that. Well, yeah, it, it, it's been exciting to see over the last few years platforms that allow this Kickstarter, Patreon approaches, right? Indiegogo. And we can talk about this, but I have fundamental problems with those models too. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're not there yet. We can talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to brewing culture, this is 2002-ish. Tell everybody what that is so that uh, yeah. we can we can bring the listeners along with us. I, I remember Brewing Culture. I think we reached out to you when Songs of Water was touring and right. we wanted to play a gig with you guys in D.C. <laughs> we were just too big and too exclusive That's for you right. to come. That's what I thought. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> um, we were a gathering of diverse types of people around the arts. We were simply a space for common grace. So we would showcase our work or have an artist speak with beer. Mm, I love so you it. think theology on tap meets you know the arts, and a third place outside the church is in a restaurant bar. The bar loved us. We'd we'd uh, drink beer and talk about and or see an art, or listen to a musician, or see a work of art, or watch a film, and then have a dialogue. And what was exciting about that was it wasn't just a passive experience and people laugh, but there was a collaboration happening. And I think to this day, there's several initiatives happening and artists working together around what happened, you know, 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. Because we all know that when you get that community of people together, and not just artists together, which I love what you get to do is it's business, it's education, it's social entrepreneurship, artists. That is the collaboration that ultimately only the church really has. That diversity mm-hmm. of vocations, perspectives, races genders that has to be there for the artist to flourish. Right. You just can't put artists in a room and expect things to happen. Right. <laughs> no, one, no, no one will sell any work. It'll just be a, exactly. a bunch of beautiful things that never get out. <laughs> um, so that was brewing culture. It was monthly. It was in DC. I was in politics and that was my, my outlet. During that time, I had played this idea of what would happen if everybody gave the price of a movie ticket a month to support the arts? You know, ten dollars. If you had ten thousand people doing that, that's a good starting point, right? And you could build from there. And what I recognized was because that's how I think. I'm, when I when people talk about patrons, even you mentioned this institutions, and that's fine. There's you need institutions and big big funders, but my mind always goes to ten dollars a month mm-hmm. because that's possible, and there's a lot more of those people. And that collective, that, that is not only contributing funding, it's also building an audience that now s- supports it and is connected to it. And then when you come into town with your work, they are now connected and gonna show up. Mm-hmm. Not just a one individual who has a national portfolio. Right. But I recognize that the audience then, and maybe still, it's just not there yet. They don't see their role when they consume as a patron. Mm-hmm. They will buy on iTunes or buy on Spot or buy a Spotify membership, they'll be listening to music, but they don't see themselves as, I am making this artist, hopefully, uh, helping the artist continue his, his or her career, mm-hmm. keep it going. And so I recognize that we need to do more just to train that audience, teach the audience of what, and that's in the church, what their role is. Mm-hmm. 
there's too many of us, and I'm guilty of this at times, of, oh, they don't get it. And you get way ahead of the church. And then you're just frustrated and like, they don't get it. They don't understand what I'm doing or what I need or mm-hmm. um, they disregard my work or what I'm trying to, trying to do. And I've just been committed the last few years of training an audience, teaching an audience, cultivating an audience that of patrons at the lower dollar level. When I went out to Denver to speak with some artists and an amazing community of people with the Faith and Work group out there, I, on the way out, the typical speech for me would be, there's a middle space, we talked about this on the last podcast, mm-hmm. the middle space artist, right? An audience. And it's common grace and they're looking for something different. They're not just in the faith community or just in the commercial mainstream general market. There's something different about them. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to talk practically to the 90 artists about what is possible if churches and families, individuals, gave 1% of their time, 1% of their space, and 1% of their budget toward the arts. What does that really mean? And for whatever reason, that notion, that idea that came to me, partly because of Mako Fujimara in the past had talked about as his time at NEA that it's a such a small amount of money. The NEA is National Endowment for the Arts is basically a, an imprimatur of, of work. It, the funding is like 150 million a year. It's, it's drop in the bucket. And he was saying, well, what, hap- what would happen if churches allocate a portion of their budget for the arts? We'd surpass the NEA budget every year by bil- you know, a billion. Wow. And then I was thinking about the one campaign, how simple that was, like just 1% of our, our national budget toward foreign aid. And I think we're all busy and we're all paralyzed by the complexity and the daunting side of what this means. We all know it needs to happen, but I think we have to boil it down to one, one, one. Everybody can do 1% of their budget, time and space. Tell me what that means on a very day-to-day level for for people. Well, a church, it's interesting to me because you, again, you have all these people and resources and talents there and you have an audience and it's just got a lot going for it in terms of the church as a building and the church as a body of Christ. So that physically and spiritually, uh, missionally, and just the, just the audience and the, the participation of people who um, would share the beliefs and care about the work and the culture and all this, it's all there. So 1% of time would be one weekend a year, you pray for artists, you showcase their work, you show a film, you do a sermon on the arts, you have a guest speaker. It's one weekend a year, very possible on the calendar. 1% of space is a typical church is around 17 to 19,000 square feet. So that's 170 square feet. So it's a class, it's the size of a you know, classroom, small classroom. Well, could you have that be a workspace? Could, you be, could it be a place where you can showcase the, the artwork? Could you um, have Saturday morning creative sessions where people come in and make a mess in that, in that space? You know, that's tiny in a, in a facility that's got property inside and out. I mean, that's not asking a lot. The, the one, sorry, creeping into the more difficult ones, which is 1% of the budget. So an average church in America has a budget, I think of about $900,000. So 1% would be $9,000 a year toward artists locally. I, I mean, I mean that we need to be supporting in our local 
congregations and communities and cities, those are artists. I, I don't think it's a national fund. I think sure. it's committed to local artists. And if you have a 300,000 churches, $9,000 a year, it's, uh, if I'm right, $2.7 billion a year in funding. If you just took 1% of a 3,000 churches, so 3,000 churches doing $9,000 a year, it is 27 million a year. So it's about a, about a fifth of what the NEA budget is, just on a fraction of the churches, doing a fraction of their budget. Now, for me, my view is, okay, $9,000. Well, I could tithe $9,000 to my church and say, earmarked for the artist. That's simple. I don't have to wait for the rest, the, the elder board to work through the budgets. <laughs> I, I can just, as an individual, say, I'm gonna tithe the uh, $9,000 necessary to make artists uh, have support in our community. Mm-hmm. So again, practical, practical, practical. For a family, to go, quick, go quickly, it's, um, it's basically you know, 2,500 square foot, you're about 25 square feet, it's a ping pong table. Okay, you can have a, a table for your kids to be doing art, creativity. It is a one weekend a year, again. It's going intentionally to a museum or to a show or to a, a art, fe- uh, art festival, film festival. It's not just going to a movie, it's making it a intentional view, reading a great book on the arts, reading poetry, something that kids in your family feels that it's contributing positive, it's reinforcing the idea the arts are important, even just one weekend a year. And then uh, money, again, it's $60 a month, I think mm-hmm. is the average mm-hmm. um, for a family budget, which spends about $6,000 a year on entertainment. $60, I guess a year, just to do something intentional on the arts, it's very possible. I love what you're saying because it does make very practical why we do what we do with the Breath and the Clay events and why we've become advocates for the arts uh, through Makers and Mystics. It leads me to a question because when I think about putting this in motion, mm-hmm. like numbers, everybody can do that. But the problem that I see, or one of the challenges that I see before anybody's even willing to do that, is coming to a place where our communities of faith recognize the fundamental value of the arts, why this is important to our culture, Mm -hmm. why this is important to us individually, and why this is important as an act of faith, or why this is important for our spiritual lives, you know? Yeah. And one of the challenges that I think we're both aware of, and we talked about this some in our previous episode, um, that liminal space or that third space where there is an inherent value within the arts that is not always explicit. Yeah, (laughs) measurable. It's not always measurable, right? Yeah. Talk to me some about that because I, I this challenge I see, and, and I've, I've encountered this even with some folks that I've worked with, is that if there's not a particular doctrinal stance that I'm trying to convince you of, or if there's not a particular evangelistic motive right. behind this, then you lose so many people in the community of faith that don't see value beyond those things. Yes, which is why the church likes politics because you can tell if you win or not on election day mm. in their minds. Like my guy won, my guy won. Like I can measure that. Hard to show it what wins in the arts. But I'm, I'm very interested in hoodwinking the patron, the, these old views, old, old, 
old guard of patrons <laughs> because, and, and many people in the church, I, I am, I'll be very honest with them. I'm going to hoodwink you. I'm not trying to be deceptive <laughs> because they care about cultural formation, cultural good, my, my grandchildren, what's the atmosphere we live in? Is it affirming these things that we care about? Is it kind? Is it good? Is it neighborly? Is it flourishing? Do I, do I feel that the, there is a, a resonance of good, true, and beautiful in what I encounter in my community? Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna tell them, which is confirming politics didn't work. It's not working, it's making things worse. If you want an upstream view of changing the culture, you go and you fund the artist. So good. And you know what? We tried your way, appreciate it. Not saying that politics is not important, but if you want to change culture, you got to get to the artist. Mm-hmm. Very simple. And I think telling them it's not a next, next uh, quarter, it's not next election, it's, it's a five to 10 year vision and we'll reevaluate then. But this is a, this is a patient investment into uh, our local communities and our national culture, what we're exporting to the world even. So that's, I wanna take the argument, take the belief that they already have, which is our culture is, and society is failing. We're, we're fragmented, we're, we're more divisive, there's more coarseness, all the things they would say, which I agree with a lot of that, and say, well, the solution you've, you've pursued is not gonna work, it hasn't worked. Are you willing to try something different? And that I think will work because that's a, that's a better argument than saying, hey, artists are struggling. Artists need some money. They gotta finish some album. <laughs> they don't, and that's why I get to what I wanna launch and I'm trying to for, by July is, is a different kind of platform than a Patreon or a Kickstarter in that here's why I think they don't work. They work, of course, but I mean, work for what I'm trying to get to. It requires a platform that is curating and telling the audience, these works matter, these people matter. Mm-hmm. You're busy. You're, it's hard to figure out what new artist is coming up that you should support. We're gonna tell you who it is in this collection of artists and you contribute to this entity, this fund, and we'll deploy those resources based upon their need and what their new works are. So it's an, it's an advocate to the audience to say, we're going to curate the best that we think are the have the greatest con- contribution to our society, our the church, uh, what we think is great art. You don't have to go out and find them because otherwise you have this. I'm an artist. I put my work up. I got to find my friends and family. How do I know if it's worth supporting? But if you had a group of people saying these are the artists, mm-hmm. and it would grow, of course, and it would start small, but I think there's something about. The, and that's one thing about the church can do is we're asking a lot of artists to be head of sales, head of HR, head of technology, head of distribution. And that's not their gift. Right. They're not good at that. They don't want to do that. They shouldn't be doing it. Right. There's a lot of people around that can do that. Mm-hmm. And so any platform I think has to be an advocate and to help cover those essentials so the artists can do their work rather than asking the artist to be a self promoter and try to generate sales and patrons and funds and you know all things that are required mm-hmm. to keep them going. Mm-hmm. It's a point of view platform. Like this is good. Mm-hmm. This is good for all of us. Mm-hmm. If I walk into a church and say, "I've got forty-five artists here, diverse regions, ethnicities, genders. They're all contributing to this view of that the arts matter, that they're upstream from culture, 
that in 10 years, we could help these people create songs and movies and, and fashion and essays and poetry that you'll see in the public domain. That'll be good for everybody. Contribute $10 a month. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. I think we get somewhere. Yeah, I know. That's, that's really fascinating, man. I, what you just said leads me to a couple of different thoughts. I'll try to dovetail them together. But just thinking of the church historical mm-hmm. and some of the contributions that the church has made to culture and to the arts over the years is phenomenal. When we, when we get behind it and, and when we see that value, I think of staff music, like sheet music. Mm. Uh, first began by a little monk <laughs> named Guido of Arezzo that wanted to notate the songs and the melodies that he Guido? got. Guido, <laughs> brother Guido. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna meet him in heaven. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and then I think uh, a lot of people would attribute even the, the creation of the book to the Christian yes. that, that wanted to put all of Paul's letters in one spot, you know, and things like theater in Europe that began with the morality plays with the mm-hmm. priests employing actors. And, and that goes on and on and on. Yeah. So of course there's a shadow side to that as well that many times when the arts were kind of exiled from the church that created a lot of other problems. Right. You know, but one question I have for you on this particular model that that you're presenting, what would you say the difference is between the independent artist, the DIY all the way, self-produced yep. everything as opposed to this being very similar to the record label who is like Capitol Records or the big entity, how would this be different than than that model that we've seen before? I think it has to be, well, I think, I think this is a, as I view the patron, it is a, not an investment, it's a gift because you're getting a gift back. Gotcha. And it's nonprofit, it is sustained obviously by a portion of the contributions, but it is, and there's an advisory board that's helping determine the criteria of who, because I think that's a challenge is who's in, who's not. I remember I got a post after I, uploaded that one 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 idea, uh, the question was, who determines who is a good artist or in the community? Like, I get that, but there's, there's plenty of ways that we can have the advisory board determine mm-hmm. the criteria. And having a criteria enables others to say, well, that's what I need to strive for. Right. It's not a bad thing to exclude people initially to say, hey, you're not there yet. Sure. Keep going, but here's what we're looking for this kind of quality, mm-hmm. and they have something now to reach for, which in the past has been, okay, I gotta figure out how to get more sales on, on Spotify. I mean, that's right. just not the right measurable, because there's so many other factors. I, I think the, the DIY independent artist is in, a, in an amazing spot right now. I, it probably feels daunting and, and confusing, and, cl- and the clutter in the market is unbelievable. So I think at times it feels that this is impossible. But to think about the tools that we have now and the systems opening up and the democratization of content and distribution. And I think it's gonna get even more open for those that are not the enormous movies and musicians and, you know, there's always gonna be the upper class of artistic works mm-hmm. that have all the kind of commercial side around it. But the middle class is gone and the lower class, not in terms of quality, but just in terms of the, the self-made independent, mm-hmm. there's just more of those. And, and we need institutions and organizing groups that allow that community to happen, mm-hmm. that collaboration, and, but then a way for us as consumers, as, as patrons, as audiences to make sense of what is worth supporting. 
Mm-hmm. What I, my fear is, and this is, I think rings true for most of us, we watch movies because they're the most marketed. We, we make decisions based upon what is in the top of the feed and what is got the thumbnail in the carousel on the platforms or what is number one at the box office because they spent $150 million on marketing. But we know that's probably not the best music or movies or right. books. So the discovery is important and who's gonna help us discover not only great works, but that have this mindset and view and, and this passion for the good of the world, the flourishing of, of God's kingdom, and, mm-hmm. but in ways that are not like in the past where it's just on the notes, but it's, mm-hmm. it's poetic. It's, and we have lots of examples in the church that unfortunately most of those examples are 50 years plus old right. and older. Yeah. I want to see who, like, who are the Flannery O'Connors right now, and yes. who are the next Scorseses or or mm-hmm. Terrence Malick's. You know, yeah. who are those that are going to be rising up? And I think we're in jeopardy of losing that if we don't focus attention and dollars and resources and space on that. So many of us independent artists these days, and some of this is good for us. Don't get me wrong; <laughs> some of this is good. But I had to learn how to be a full-time manager. I had to learn how to be a full-time accountant. I had to learn how to be a full-time marketer. Yeah. I, and, and then I've still got to create good content. Right. You know, and so having something in place where it can free the artist to go further with the nectar of their gift, you know? Yeah. No, it, it, it is, it develops these other muscles we, we don't, never, never used, didn't know we had. And our business and what I do full-time is distribution and marketing, which is basically promotion and sales. Like, okay, I don't make films. I don't make shows. There's a lot of good people doing that. I don't need to add my vision or style or, you know, bad ideas into the mix here, (laughs) let's be honest. But my role is it's been made. It has amazing potential. Let's create legs for it to get out and and do what it's going to do in the world. It may not be financially successful all the time, but it may have great impact. It may be something that is life-changing for many, many people in the audience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where all of us need to say, what role do I play as a patron or in the community of faith? I may, yes, I can can give $10, but I'm also really good at event planning. Mm -hmm. I'm also really good at accounting. And in my three hours a month, I can help an artist manage their books. Very good. I mean, this is like yes. what the church does. Right. And we tend to think of it in all these cases of, oh, well, you know, I can I can pass out bulletins or I can be a serve communion. Okay, great. But beyond the walls of the church, mm-hmm. especially for the artist, for whatever reason, we just don't think about their needs. And this is where the artist, I think, needs to step up and say, hey, I could use some help here. And that weekend a month, Weekend a month, a weekend a year. That'd be great if it's a weekend a month. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get there. A weekend a year would say, for someone in leadership to say, listen, we're not only giving our budget and our time and our space, but here's, here are practical things that these artists in our community need. You know, they need gas for their next tour. Right. They, this car broke down because they may have an extra car for them to get around. I mean, there's a lot of things that the church loves to do. Right. And they would be find joy in it, and it just hasn't been presented in a way that is compelling and certainly not consistent. Yeah. Well, let me ask you one last question then. What would you see are the next steps 
for communities of faith right now? What, would, what is something that we can do now to move in this direction? Well, I think it, the probably easiest step is to start with a weekend a year. I think that's going to your church and saying, listen, I'll organize it, I'll help you. A, community, a committee of us will help, but let's just take one weekend and do that. I think that's the easiest thing than space, maybe the next level, and then it gets into the budget. But I would say even if the budget side of $9,000 a year, could 10 people give under $1,000 and commit to that? It, it just starts small. I mean, I'm meeting with our church here this week about having a Sunday evening movie night where I'll curate the films. It'll be something that most people would maybe not want to expect to see or want to see, but just having that kind of work or having a musician show up, it says to the artists in the, in, that are hiding in the corners or, or not as outspoken, oh, I'm valued. We're going to support this in a, in a way that's just presenting the arts. And it, it also helps help the audience see like, oh, I never knew this was out there. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this musician existed. I didn't know that painter was in mm-hmm. our, down mm-hmm. the street. Uh, or that movie was so moving, I never heard about it. So I think it's just starting small. And I, it, uh, my dream would be that this year there's 500 examples. And here's the thing is there's a lot of people doing this already. Let's not be, let's not kid ourselves that this is somehow a new idea. There's people doing this. I hear about them and I commend that. I just think it needs to be a little bit more organized and more public and sharing stories of success and, and what we're all trying to do and see that populate in a way that is, is not just here and there. Mm-hmm. I said that was my last question, but this is really my last question. <laughs> we could be here all day because right. this is good stuff. This is just part two of that question, but what do you see, what is at stake if we as a community of faith don't move in this direction? What's, what's oh, yeah. at stake both for the independent artists and for the communities of faith? If, if we don't begin to think in this direction, if we don't begin to see the value of the artist and, and really get behind that, what do you see at stake? Have you seen that stat that they expect 27 million people to leave the church by 2050, so the next 30 years? I would say that the nuns and duns of the church in large part is because they can't find meaning and beauty in where they're worshiping and in, in they're, they're, they're creative people. I think a lot of them are just weird creative people and they just don't, they're not into the structure and the, and the ways we do church. Mm-hmm. Um, they're into the gospel, they're into Jesus, they, un- they understand God's creative power and his gifting, but they just don't fit in. So I think we're gonna lose that 27 million. I think we're going to be utilitarian in our spaces and in our formulaic sides of worship. We're not gonna see the full expression of the body of Christ. We're basically cutting off a leg and expecting to be a beautiful runner. I mean, it's, or, or to have our full, abilities like we just it's the same way with special needs like we're, we just we just start cutting these things off and we end up being this really monolithic kind of bland stale community and that's not anything what we should be and can be so yeah i think it's utilitarianism we're going to be um, losing people and i think then ultimately we're going to lose artists who they're going to just decide it's not worth it mm-hmm. the audience doesn't care there's no support, no resources. I'm just gonna go do something that makes money. And you know what makes money? Horror and bad comedies. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I don't watch some of those, but <laughs> or I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go and just 
work for the man. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give this up, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. And that, that would be devastating to the church, which has such a history mm-hmm. in the arts. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Well, Eric, thank you so much for taking this time with us on Makers and Mystics. And thank you for sharing your thoughts and thank you for being an advocate for the arts. Oh, it's such a delight. And I, again, just one small voice, but I'm really hopeful that through your great work that more people can just feel encouraged and, and maybe some patrons are listening. <laughs> Not just the That's artists. Right. That's right. Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. A special thanks goes out to our patrons and supporters who make these conversations possible. If you'd like to join our team of patrons, visit patreon.com slash makersandmystics or see the show notes of this episode. Patrons enjoy additional interviews and content, a live online book club, and other additional incentives. Go to patreon.com slash makersandmystics or see the show notes of this episode. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art. Mm-hmm.